Well, good morning, Branch Church. I like it. Thank you. And good morning online, everyone attending with us, joining with us this morning. We're so glad you could be here. So two men go shopping. End of joke. I'm just kidding. Two men go grocery shopping, and they come out to their car, and they put their groceries away. Before they did this, they leaned their cart to the back of their vehicle, and as they put their groceries away and they came back out, the cart is hightailing it down the road. And so they both bolt after it to go get it, hoping that it doesn't hit anything, because who wants to deal with that? And they both get to it. They don't see it hit anything. They're looking around. Did it hit something? Did it hit something? And then lo and behold, there is a white SUV with a nice red cherry lipstick across from the red cart, which hit it. The first guy dumps the cart, gets into his vehicle, and gets out of Dodge. The second guy stops, goes to his car, gets a piece of paper, starts to write a note, sees the owner, apologizes, I'm so sorry to have met you like this. What can I do to fix it? I'll come to your house, I'll meet you at the park, whatever you want, I wanna make this right. Why did the first guy take off and the second guy stay? Let me frame it another way. Where do our actions come from? Our actions come from our attitudes. Where do our attitudes come from? From our beliefs. Where do our beliefs come from? Ideas. Our ideas important? Without a doubt. Ideas have incredible consequences for good and for bad. There are false teachers that have shown up in the church of Ephesus and they are planting false ideas in the church. Paul has already addressed them in chapter one. He turned back to them in chapter four and now he's turning back to them again in chapter six to describe how bad it is to have these false ideas within the church. And as we see Paul teach in chapter six, verses three through 10, we're gonna learn this as a summary and then we're gonna unpack this together we're going to see that different doctrine. And when I say different doctrine, I mean different than the apostles, different than the words of Jesus. Different doctrine actually corrupts godliness. But Jesus's doctrine actually produces godliness, the one that the Father desires. And it produces a godliness that comes with contentment. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 3 together this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise, this word teaches otherwise is the Greek word hetero, I think it's didaskalia. And it's other teaching. It's the same word Paul opens this whole letter with in chapter 1, verse 3. This other teaching that is not of the apostles. It's not from Jesus. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, that is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, then the following things will begin to result or can be true. And in this case, they're definitely going to be true in light of the false teachers that Paul probably has in mind as he writes this. So if there is different doctrine, not in accordance with Jesus, not in accordance with the doctrine which produces godliness, what is godliness? It's a reverent fear toward God, 
where you respond in living an obedient life. To not have these things produces a life of corrupt mind and corrupt character. We're actually going to see that different doctrine is such a big deal. These different ideas are so bad because of what they produce. People that are not godly, but they're actually corrupted and totally missing godliness. If anyone does this, verse four, he is proud. True doctrine should lead us away from pride and should lead us towards humility. Pride is this exaggerated opinion of yourself, this self-superior, I'm better than everybody else. Humility is to have your feet on the ground and to have an accurate perception of yourself in reality. Pride gets little wings on its feet like the Red Bull wings and it begins to fly and it's high up and it sees things from a very distorted viewpoint. If anyone is under this kind of teaching, if anyone is not under the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is the potential for great pride. Why? Because they are now looking to themselves instead of to God and his work and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who saves you? Jesus saves you. Is it by your works? No, Ephesians is very clear. You are saved by grace through, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So nobody can do what? Nobody can boast. Who sustains your life and keeps your life going? Hebrews chapter one, verse three. He sustains all things by the word of his power. Who works out all things for good? It definitely ain't me. I don't think it's any one of us. Usually we can make things worse. Who enables you to bear fruit to the Father? Jesus does. There is absolutely no room for pride in the true doctrine and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. How could we possibly say, look at me and how impressive I am when we are overshadowed by the glory of a God who saves you, sustains you, works out things for all good and enables you to do anything good at all. Anything good that you can do now or you will do, it's because of the working grace of God in your life. Can I get a witness? There we go. There's a movie, I don't know what it is, but this guy, he's about to get jumped by five other guys, something like that. And so what does he do? He starts doing karate moves and making karate sounds, hopefully to scare them away. Ah! And the next thing you know, they're like, I don't want none of this. And they leave. And he looks at his hands and he's like, yeah, the man totally scared them away. Only to turn around and to find out there is a much bigger, more impressive, stronger guy who actually knows karate behind him. Oh, I guess it wasn't me. It was the one behind me. It's the same thing for us. What's truly impressive, it's not us. It's God who overshadows us behind us in his almighty grace, power, and kindness in our lives. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Since we know this and who truly is impressive, it leads us to do what Paul does. What does Paul do? Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 26. We're going to get kind of a running start here. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, right? When God has called us into salvation, he says to the Corinthians that not many wise according to the flesh, not many of you were all that wise, 
Not many of you were mighty, not many of noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God's grace, you believe and are in Christ, who Jesus became for us wisdom from God. Not only that, he's our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. There's really no work. There's no room for us. It's all God. And that is the most wonderful message when it comes to our doctrine. Verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Some of your versions might say boast. I like the word boast here better. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. This seems to be where Paul gets this from. Not only does he say it in the new, we see it in the old. Jeremiah 9, 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory or boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows who? That I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the active Savior, exercising three things here. Kindness, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. When we really measure God, his work in us, who is the one that is impressive? Where should our boasting be? in the Lord. And I think honestly, that's true freedom. It's true freedom to say, you know what? I'm not enough. I don't know everything, but I know the one who does. And even more importantly, he knows me. There's some pretty impressive people in this world. I was doing some reading. Do you know Mozart started writing music when he was four years old? I still can't do that. There was a gentleman, Kim Ung Young, if I'm getting that right, child genius, born in Korea in 1962. When he was four years old, he was reading four languages, English, Korean, Japanese, and German, I think. When he was seven, he was invited by NASA to the United States. Before he was 15, he got a PhD in physics from Colorado State University. Are you impressed? I'm impressed. You know who's more impressive? The gift giver the one who enabled a four-year-old to do that, a seven-year-old to do that, a 15-year-old to do that. I think we should celebrate each other's giftings, celebrate when people use them and are diligent to work at them, but ultimately, who do we boast in? We boast in the Lord who gives those gifts, the one who is underneath, behind, above, and under all the things which he enables us to do. That was a lot there, though. But when it comes to pride, it seems there's a lot possibly to say. If anyone teaches otherwise, he's proud. Different doctrine leads to pride, but it should not. True doctrine should lead to Christ. It says here now, knowing nothing. If these are connected, pride leads to knowing nothing. Because pride blindfolds itself from truth and reality. It's an exaggerated opinion of itself, and it can't see who the true God and Savior really is. It says, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. The word obsessed here in the Greek is the word sick. 
These people become sick, unhealthily sick and obsessed with controversy arguments to the points of having to win with the smallest little word battles. Why? Well, again, if it's connected to pride, they got to be number one. And that's even in arguments and that's even in the smallest of little words. He says, from which come, now look what happens. We have relational nightmares. Look what this different doctrine does, which come envy. Envy says, I don't like what you have. I don't like the fact that you have it and I want it. So I'm going to do what I can to take it away from you to make sure you don't have it anymore. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. Pilate knew why they handed him over. And Mark tells us because of envy, they did not like the attention that Jesus was getting over them. Man, if the Pharisees only could have seen where they should be boasting. From which come envy, strife. Strife is a contentious rivalry. Trying to always best the other person. Reviling, this is where you result to your words and cutting people down. Evil suspicions. This is having slight evidence, if any at all, and then just automatically thinking evil towards other people. Useless wranglings, a persistent wrangling and friction between people of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. These men who are in this different doctrine, their minds have become corrupt. You take a step back, their whole viewpoint, their attitude is one that is corrupt. It's off because Christ Jesus is not the center nor the goal of that doctrine truly. To be destitute of the truth means they've been robbed. That's one of those like, ouch. I didn't just miss it. I was robbed. It was like stolen from me. They even suppose that godliness is a means of gain. It says in the New King James, from such withdraw yourself. It doesn't say that last phrase in the original Greek from what I could find. So I won't say anything about it. Godliness has even become this opportunity to throw on the robe, the garb, and to have it be a business venture where they can make money from it. Donald Guthrie talks about how their hearts are really in their pockets and not really bent towards God. It's terrible. Different doctrine leads to different ideas and it produces different results. And the results produced here by different doctrine is absolutely alarming. We received a magazine this week called World Magazine. Have you ever heard of it? It's a Christian publication. I was given a year subscription years ago within our family, and it's good. I like it. It's Christian journalism that talks about theology. It talks about education, entertainment, politics. And so there's articles about anything and everything going on. And as I was browsing through it, I came across an article here called Kenya's Suicide Cult. And to summarize it, basically one of the leaders was found to have led people to his compound, his place, I don't know what it was. And he taught them to starve themselves as they were waiting for Jesus to come. That makes me angry to see, to hear that there were bodies found, autopsies done, where people starved to death and died of asphyxiation because a leader told them to do that, to wait for Jesus to come back. The subtitle says this, and this is what I draw your attention to. Christian leaders say, Weak theological training. Weak theological training leaves Kenyans susceptible to predatory preachers. 
keywords, weak theological training. And I can't help but go, yes, absolutely. We cannot have weak training, weak teaching. We can't have weak Bible studies. We have to know our Bibles. We have to know the word so that this does not happen to you or to your children. Yeah, Sean, that's in Kenya though, right? Way over there. We would never do something like that. It's just different over here. I heard a, I heard a, another sad story. Um, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, he tells this story. I don't know when, but I heard it recently of an intern or someone within the church who was meeting with a couple and the couple was not able to have children. And he hears what he perceives to be God. And he has the thoughts of, tell them a year from now, they will have a child. Now, if you had that thought in that moment, what would you do? That's a big thought. And you better make well sure that you don't mess that up. Because that could really mess that couple up who's probably already hurting, meeting with you, telling you they can't have children. That's a really big deal. And then he says he hears this or believes God to tell him this. If you don't say it, it won't happen. Super disgusting, I think. Where does that come from? A false idea. Remember we talked about it? Your actions come from your attitudes or your attitudes, beliefs, all the way down to these ideas. What's the idea? The idea that they teach in that church is that you can speak things into existence from what I understand of it. And there is a whole stream within the Christian faith of people teaching this. That's a really bad idea. If your words are that powerful, or if you are that godlike, which you are not, why not go to the hospital and just command everyone to be healed? Why not command that girl over there to fall in love with you? Why not command the lottery to give you the exact, you know what I mean? Let's run with the idea. It doesn't work because you're not God. We have to know our Bibles and we have to know our Lord. After we finish 1 Timothy, we're going to do the Gospel of John. And we have a fantastic opportunity to know God as he has revealed, let me say that again, perfectly revealed himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. We all can be susceptible to bad teaching and bad ideas. Not one of us is perfect, myself especially included. But as we get into the word, we will by God's grace become stronger in knowing truth so that way we are not swayed when someone comes knocking on your door. When you're somewhere and you see Jehovah's Witnesses setting up something, you know better. I know that's not true. Even if you don't know exactly why, at least you know your faith and they will not lead you astray. Verse six. We transition now from this picture of what the different doctrine does to now a picture of true doctrine and what it does. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. True godliness does not lead you to a life of striving after money. True godliness leads you to Christ and to a life of contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is to be satisfied. You're satisfied. You're at rest. And you're at rest right where you're at, regardless of what you have. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Listen to what Paul says in another letter regarding contentment. 
He says, not that I speak in regard to need. He says, for I have learned. Paul the apostle learned this. In whatever state I am, to be content, to be satisfied, to be at rest. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to have nothing, in other words, and I know how to be overflowing and rolling in it. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment was not found in money or material things. Contentment is found in Jesus and his presence, which empowers you to be content in that situation. When he says, I can do all things, I can do what? Contentment. I can do contentment. I remember Pastor Wayne pouring that into me and teaching on this verse. I can do contentment in all situations because of the empowering work of Jesus Christ. Why can't money or material things be the ultimate contentment? Verse seven, going back to 1 Timothy. It says, because you brought nothing into the world and you can carry nothing out. Money, material possessions, it has a role and it has a purpose in this earth and and they're not necessarily bad and we need these things and we have to function with these things. But they are temporary things that do not bring ultimate joy and satisfaction and rest. Think about it. You could have everything and still be miserable. You could have all the money in the world, bank accounts, homes. You could have the perfect marriage. You could have the perfect kids like mine. (laughs) You could have the perfect everything and yet still be empty and miserable. On the flip side, you could have nothing and you could be content. No home, no cars, no marriage, no children. Why? Because who makes the ultimate difference is if we're content or not? It's Jesus Christ. It's the empowering presence of Jesus Christ. Job talked about it in Job 121. Naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had serious loss and he was still able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He understood material things were temporary. Donald Guthrie, he says something like this, if I can can remember it. I can't, so I'll say it in my own words. Don't spend your life chasing what you cannot keep. Don't spend your life chasing what you cannot keep, what is temporary. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15 says the same idea. Came in with nothing, you leave with nothing, all that labor, all that work, and what are you going to do with it? You have to leave it behind. Now, again, there's a place for labor. There's a place for work and for money but it's not ultimately everything. And that shapes our perspective to what truly matters and what truly gives contentment. And that's Jesus. And he says in verse eight, having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Food and clothing. Clothing here is the word covering in the Greek. And the idea could be shelter as well. But basically with the bare necessities, that's it. We have Christ. In 2007, my sister came home late one night to discover that our toilet was overflowing and had filled an inch or two in the whole house. So we had to spend that summer living in a hotel together. And all I had that summer was a backpack with my Bible, a pen, I think, and some clothes. And I was so good. 
it was amazing how you, you leave all that and you realize, you know, I don't need as much stuff as maybe I think. Granted, that was a unique time. I didn't have kids. I wasn't married or more responsibilities. But for me, it was a memorable moment of realizing, you know, I, I don't need much. I don't need much. With the Lord, I have everything that I need. Verse 9, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. A snare is a trap. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown. This is a strong verb here. Think of plunge. You are plunging over a cliff. You are plunging into a body of water. They drown men into destruction and perdition. Here's the best way I can visualize it. You come to a field and if money is your God, if money is your number one, if this is the one thing driving you, the one thing you're going after, you've come to a field and the field is full of traps. There are explosives you cannot see. Those big bear claw traps you get your legs stuck in. There's holes you might fall into with snakes at the bottom and Indiana Jones is down there. All that stuff. If you are chasing after money, it's a trap. It's temptation to do many foolish and harmful things. Think about it this way. If you're going after the money and that's, that's the God, that's the goal, that's an unholy desire. True? Are you going to choose holy things now to get that? Probably not. An unholy, an unholy goal will probably follow with unholy steps in trying to make it happen. Many foolish, many harmful desires. And we know what money can do to people. I like murder mysteries. It's one of the number one things in which people kill each other, right, on these TV shows. Money can lead to murder, jealousy, adulterous relationships. There's a whole laundry list of things in which if money is number one, it causes you to do because you're worshiping this thing here. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is not the root as if it's the reason for every source of evil. I don't think the devil was after money. I don't think Adam and Eve were after money, but it's a root. It's a radical, significant root from which so many evil things can actually happen. He says, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money can lead to many terrible things in the which way people act. The worst thing is to lead someone away from the faith. Many have left or some have strayed from the faith in greediness. I think that as a church as a whole, I think generally speaking, I think we get this. We know money is not the end all. We know it's not the source which truly brings us contentment. Rather, it's Christ. And I think that everyone can struggle with contentment. Amen? So what is it for us that becomes that struggle to actually have rest in Christ? And there's many possible things. Maybe you've gotten your eyes off Jesus. Maybe, maybe you don't think Jesus is enough and you have to do something else. Maybe you look at yourself. I got to be perfect in order for God to accept me. And then when I do this then I'll have rest and satisfaction. Whatever the case may be, whatever it is, you can have contentment. It starts with faith in Jesus Christ and turning to him and realizing his work and boasting in what he has done for you. And then from that position, you grow in understanding that contentment by his grace to provide for you daily, to take care of you, to know in the long run he has your future all secure 
all bound up in his grace. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Here's another way, another version. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you believe that? If you can believe that, God give us the grace to believe that, I think that will drastically change our lives and the way we might feel in our situations. Take everything, just don't take you from me, Lord. Take everything, just don't take your spirit. Take everything, just keep me close to you and I'm good. Lord bless us to say that. Hebrews, go with me to Hebrews 13 verse five. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you be content? Yes, because of the Father's presence, which does not abandon. Because of Jesus's presence, which empowers and enables you to live in that very difficult situation. And I know that some of you have very difficult situations. Very hard. How can I possibly be content with this loss and this brokenness and this hurt and this confusion? But it's possible because of the Lord. And that's something beyond my human ability to even explain. I'll just point to the Lord and say it's true because of him. Today we've been blessed to look at God's word in 1 Timothy 6 and to see that different doctrine it really is dangerous because it corrupts. It corrupts godliness. It do, if it doesn't lead you to Christ, it's leading you away from him. But Jesus' true doctrine produces a godliness with contentment. There's a lot of application to be found in the text. We want to be aware of the love of money and knowing what it can plunge people into. We want to be aware of different doctrine and how much those ideas really can hurt us and asking God to teach us truth and grace and we also want to come to Christ and find deep contentment because of his work and his ongoing presence in our lives. Amen.